0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com I would like to start by asking you if you have a catchphrase for life. Anybody? Do you want me to give you some examples of what I might mean? All right, what I mean is everything happens for a reason. What goes around comes around. Maybe it's sport-related. In my family, you'll never walk alone. That's a big one for them. i guess guessing the football fans won't be here this morning, though, given what's happening at the same time. Um, Maybe it's your mums and it's live, laugh, love on the kitchen wall. Anyone? I don't know. But this morning, I would like to talk to you about my catchphrase for life, which is simply, be still. Now, if you're observant, or if you know me, you uh, will know that this is tattooed on my arm. It's right here. For those on the recording that can't see me, it is there. Um, But this morning, it's not a preach about why you should get tattoos. It's a preach about why this is on my arm, but also why this is imprinted on my heart and why it should be on yours as well. So today we are continuing our series, A Summer of Psalms. You've got a gorgeous graphic behind you for that. And I'm going to be reading and speaking to you from Psalm 46 in the Bible. So if you've got a physical Bible and you want to turn there with me, you can. If not, it will be on the screen as well behind my head, hopefully. Yes. Okay, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. love these verses. So, um like I said before, we are in the book of Psalms at the moment. And for those of you that don't know, the book of Psalms are basically a massive collection of songs, of poems, of things that are on people's heart basically in the time before Jesus lived. So there's lots of emotions expressed through these, lots of different situations, some of them good, some of them bad, lots of in between. And a lot of them were attributed to King David, if he sounds relevant to you, and other people at the time. And if you're looking in a physical Bible right now, it's not on the screen, unfortunately, you might see that there's an inscription in italics at the beginning that says, sons of Korah. And I researched who these geezers are so that you don't have to. Um, effectively, they were some great musicians of the time. So never mind your modern day musicians, these were the guys. And they wrote a lot of the songs that King David used in his services, much a bit like this one, I would suppose. Otherwise, but he wouldn't be reading off an iPad, would he? Um, but I'm mentioning them now because I'm going to mention them a little bit later. So just keep them in the back of your mind somewhere and we'll pause it there. But we're going to unpick this psalm broadly in two parts. So I'm going to go through the first six verses and then the latter ones after that. The first six I'm going to talk about as God's provision. And what I mean by that is basically what God does for us. So kicking off into verse one. Now, if you can just put back on the screen, Stu, the original, because I realised I didn't put the verses as I went through it, otherwise it would have been quite long. <clears throat> Thank you. So verse one. We see that God is called our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. These verses talk about the character of God and tell us that if we need a refuge, which is a safe place to be, that God himself will provide that for us. If you need strength, you're feeling weak, God himself will be your strength that you can draw upon. If you're needing help at any time, in any place, God will be there to provide it. He is ever-present. And I want you to imagine a little toddler, maybe three years old at the play park. They've got these chubby little legs and they're running too excitedly towards some kind of toy or something. And their little legs take them too fast and they stumble and fall and they scratch up their knees. And they're immediately crying and desperate for their parent to swoop them up into their arms and give them that comfort, that help, that strength that they need. Or even as a young adult, which most of you are here today, you're not a toddler, or you might not have one. Um, As a young adult, something goes wrong in your house. You're trying to cook something. You don't know what to do. Who do you call? A parent, a grandparent, another adult in your life. I can't get the white lumps out of the flour in the sauce. Please help me. I don't know what to do. That type of situation. We know as that small child and as that young adult that we go to our parent and God is our father And they provide us with refuge, with strength, and with help. Now into verse two, it starts with therefore. And therefore in the Bible is generally a note for us to pay attention here. It says, therefore, we will not fear. Now what this is saying here is that we can apply logic to our faith. So, because God is strong, because he is a place of refuge, because he is an ever-present help, We have no reason to fear logically if we believe that about him and his character. And coming back to this verse in its entirety, it says, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains quake with their surging. And I want you to envision, if you can, an earthquake sort of situation here, an extreme natural disaster. And I wonder if any of you have seen in the media recently about the wildfires, particularly in Maui, in Hawaii. There's been mass destruction and devastation, and it can be hard to wonder, how is God in the midst of all of that? But I don't know if any of you have seen that there is a particular building in the town centre which has remained, and that is the church. You can see it here behind me. For whatever reason, whether you believe it's God or not, this church has remained standing within that mass destruction, and it is the only building in the whole area that has So the writer is telling us not to fear in these situations and you and I's reference point for a natural disaster such as this might only be the media, it might only be seeing things like this on the news or maybe in a film with some extreme tsunami or something. But if we take this less literally and think of it more figuratively, I wonder if you've ever felt a situation in your life where you feel like the ground is breaking beneath you where you feel like your circumstances are just making you, just feel like everything's crumbling around you. It feels like an earthquake. Things are falling apart and nothing is going right for you. Well, the writer is telling us not to fear in these situations. Though the ground's literally or figuratively falling, he says, we will not fear. And how can he say that and mean it? Well, do you remember I told you not to forget who these geezers, the songs of Korah, were? (laughs) They weren't just songwriters, they famously, their ancestors, actually perished in a humongous earthquake that nearly eradicated the whole earth pretty much and they still would have had this image in their head. It was a family story, it was a family narrative that they would have grown up hearing about. So when they're talking here about this extreme natural disaster, the mountains crumbling into the sea, this would have been an image and a story that they would have grown up with and yet they said we aren't to fear because God is our refuge and strength. Can I invite you to think about a moment in your own life, a narrative or a story that helps you trust in the strength of God? Or can I also invite you to think of a situation in your life where you've been left with disappointment and that situation has left seeds of doubt in your heart about God's power to be a refuge? Now, when we come into verse three, it describes the seas roaring and surging. And perhaps some of your circumstances that came to mind just then feel like that, like encompassing waves that crash over you, that drown you. And the open sea can be a scary place, especially when the waves are high and the boat feels like it's surrounded. This is very much something I relate to as someone who grew up going out on little boats. Now, it doesn't matter how many times you checked the wave pattern or the wind forecast for the day, sometimes you would find yourself caught in the middle of rather large seas in a very small boat. And I'm not just being modest, it is a very small boat, okay? And the waves are up to your head. You can't see the sky for the sea. Everybody's a little bit frightened. The driver's pretending he's not frightened. We're all quite scared. The boat would fly up on a big wave you'd think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, crash straight back down. You'd be like, I'm alive. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Scary vibes, guys, big Cs. And I'll tell you what I used to do in those situations when I was that frightened. I would sing to myself. I'm trying to think of the time, what it would be I would sing, probably One Direction, (laughs) if we're being honest. I would sing to myself, right? But can you say in your life, that you would have the peace in your stormy situation to sing in the middle of the storm. What are you clinging to in those stormy situations when the waves are crashing over you? What are you doing in those situations? What are you clinging to? Into verse four, we contrast these raging seas with something more calming. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. And the calmness of a river is quite different to the raging of an angry sea. And the theme of rivers runs throughout the Bible and can illustrate a constant supply of provision and something that doesn't run dry. For example, in Isaiah 44.3, God says, For I will pour out my water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. God's promise is to supply constantly into our lives and into the dry areas. And we may not take the weight of this illustration particularly because we have a constant access to water in this country. You turn on your tap and there it is. But for the writers at the time and for many others who will read these verses around the world, it's a stronger promise of God's provision. Um, But I want you to remember that although a river is more peaceful, it still has a strong current. And it's a strong force which drives it in a particular direction into the city in this case. God provides his spirit to us like a river. He is not weak and directionless, but he wants to strongly focus us in the direction of his peace and of his victory. The phrase the city of God is referring to Jerusalem at the time, where believers held on to as their promised land. So God's not this big angry sea but rather he is a river of fulfilment of his promise and a constant source into a holy place of rest. Now into verse five. God is within her, she will not fall. God will be with her at the break of day. This verse is regularly quoted, printed, tattooed by female (laughs) believers because of the pronoun her being used here. And there is a photo. Anyone guess whose arm this is? it's my mum there's a theme right Uh, sorry about that again not a sermon about tattoos my mum just got this tattooed a week ago I was already choosing to preach on this before we'll see if she listens to the podcast because uh, she doesn't know I'm using it I asked her to send that photo yesterday but anyway lots of female believers cling to this verse God is within her she will not fall because of those pronouns those female pronouns that are used there And whilst I am not here to burst anybody's bubble, including my mum's, although I already did, this verse is not actually referring to a woman at all. It's actually referring to the holy city from the verses before, which is God's dwelling place. But like I say, my mum ignored me anyway. But the point remains the same. The point that she got it, the point that other people still print it, it remains the same. Because God is the source of our lives and the constant river into the city of your life, if you know him, if his people, his city know him, they will not fall. God's promise again is to help us. And there are all kinds of situations in life where you might feel like you stumble or take a fall. Perhaps a relationship that you were in didn't work out. Perhaps a friendship broke down. Perhaps you lost a job. There are all kinds of circumstances that make us feel like our life is crumbling. And God doesn't promise us that we won't go through hard things. He promises us to be with us in the midst of those things and that he won't leave us to the point where we crumble. And I remember a time in uni, and I was a bit of a nerd in uni for those who knew me then, where I got a grade back that was a whole two grades lower than my normal average. And I could not look my lecturer in the eye I couldn't talk to anyone, I felt like the world was over, I'm not going to get the grade I want on my degree, this is the end of it. And yet, here I stand before you, the world didn't end, I have an alright job, everything was okay, God was with me, he didn't let me fall, although it felt like it at the time. And into verse 6, as we draw this first part of the passage to a close, it references wars ceasing at the sound of God's voice. And this foreshadows the life of Jesus. So remember I said Jesus is not alive yet in this time. Jesus could lift his voice to a war or to a sea and see it instantly calm. And there's a story in Mark 4 in the New Testament where Jesus and his disciples, that's his crew, his boys, his mandem, in another context, not at work right now, Gabby. Um, him and his boys, they're out on a boat. And him and his boys, they're fishermen, right? They're not scared of big stormy seas. They're not crying, singing to One Direction to themselves like I was. They're used to it. So Jesus, he's having a nap in this big storm. He's just, he's snoozing. He's tired. He's doing a lot of stuff, right? And the disciples, his guys on the boat, they're getting a bit freaked out. They're like, this is not a normal storm. I think we need to wake Jesus up. We need some help. We're going to have to wake him up. So they wake him up. And in Mark 4, verse 39, Jesus is woken up and he just says to the seas, peace, be still. And the storm instantly stops. I never thought when I was on the boat to tell the water, peace, be still. And to be fair, guys, I'm not God. So it may not have done if I did. But the point of this is that Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promise. In these verses, in this psalm that we're looking at, we're talking about God making wars cease. Jesus, a while later, a few hundred years or so later, does the same thing. This shows that he is God, that he can stop the seas, that he can stop the the storm, rather, just by saying, peace and be still. He wants to do this in your life if you will let him. Now coming on to this second part of the passage and the second section for today and this part of the passage is all about God's glory and what I mean by that is the justification as to why we can trust his provision, all of that stuff I was just talking about before. So verse seven says the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress and you might be wondering Who's this Jacob fella? Why does it keep talking about all these guys that I don't know who they are? Well, let me tell you a little bit. Uh, for those that don't know, Jacob is quite a messy Bible character. He's a bit of a messy guy, right? <laughs> he is the son of some big Bible characters. Uh, well, sorry, the son of a big Bible character um, and the grandson of a, another one, that being um, Isaac and Abraham. And Jacob was a messy guy, like I said, He made a lot of mistakes in his life. He wronged a lot of people. He hurt a lot of people, including his own brother, who he betrayed. And yet, he saw God's favour upon his life. God even renamed Jacob Israel, which is the Holy Land. And he eventually even became father to the 12 tribes of Israel, of which Jesus would become a descendant. So he left a huge legacy behind, despite his messiness, and despite all of the things that he'd done wrong. And I think this verse references God as the God of Jacob, because you two, you two, you two, and me, myself and you, rather, can we speak English, Gabby? Yes, we can. Um, We are to see God as our fortress and our protector, despite our mess, despite our sin, as we sometimes call it in a church we are to see that God is going to be our provision and our constant source. Despite the mistakes that we have made, despite our mess, God was still with Jacob and he blessed him. And you might remember me saying, God renamed Jacob Israel. So why is this verse still calling him Jacob? And I think the reason for that is because it's to apply to us as an individual and as a collective. So Jacob being his individual name Israel being the holy people and everyone. God is here for you. God wants to be your protector and your source and your provision and your help as an individual and as a collective. He cares about you as the one, but he cares about the bigger picture as well. And in verse 8 it says, Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. And this points us to look at evidence of God's power and his ability to end things that don't please him. And into verse nine, we read, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. A fortress is not a weak thing, guys. God is strong and he is ready to fight for you. He cares about the wars that are raging in your life and he wants to make them cease. And this reminds me of Exodus 14, 14, right near the beginning of the Bible. And this is in Moses' story, if you're familiar with him. Moses tells his people, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. This is just before God commands Moses to part the sea and lead his people through it. So if God could part a sea for Moses and lead however many people through that sea, how much more does he want to work a breakthrough in your life and in your situation and show you that he is your refuge? Do you know that your shield in life is God and in his word itself? God promises in Isaiah 54, 14, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. His promise is to protect you when you lean into him. And now we're coming on to verse 10, guys, which is my favorite part and the be still section. So buckle in. (laughs) Verse 10 tells us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. How often can we say today that we are truly still? And I don't mean sat in your seat right now. And I certainly don't mean sat on your sofa later tonight. Are we not constantly busy working, studying, hanging out with friends, seeing family, travelling, putting in self-care opportunities, whatever it might be? Do we add spend time with God to our to-do list as something else to tick off in our busy lives and routines? Do we even do it at all, thinking that our rest when we're tired is better placed watching Netflix or having a bubble bath. I can be guilty of that one, which Ella will know quite well. (laughs) And I know that focusing on God and slowing down has not always been a priority for me in the past. And when we are so focused on the things of the world going on in our lives, where the mountains feel like they're crumbling and the seas feel like they're surging, we can forget to slow down and be still in him. And like I say, this has been true for me in the past. I have wanted the noise of life and of my situation to just stop so badly that I've tried to drown it out. And I had a way of doing this when I was 16 years old. And I just want to warn you that what I'm going to say next is maybe going to be a bit upsetting or possibly a bit triggering for some people. So I'm just letting you know that. But when I didn't know God's stillness and his ability to give me strength at 16 years old. And it felt like my life was falling apart, the world was crumbling beneath my feet. The only thing that gave me temporary relief was self-harm. And in doing this, 16-year-old me was seeking out a moment of quiet for the noise, a moment of war ceasing in my life. I so badly wanted to feel in control of something that when everything else felt so far out of my control that felt like it helped but let me tell you right now guys it didn't work all it left me with was more pain shame and hurt and I remember one night being in my bathroom crying after an incident of doing this and feeling so far alone and separate from everyone because I felt so much shame about this secret of what I had done Maybe this is upsetting to hear because it resonates with some part of your life or your own story. I'm here to tell you today that being still in God is what is going to give you true rest. I'm a living example of this as I stand here before you having tried this other method and others that I've not talked about this morning to find that stillness. It's his stillness that refreshes your soul. It's his kindness and love that silences the noise and gives you the relief that you need. Psalm 23 says, He leads me by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God's soul refreshing in his stillness is very different to the rest of a Netflix show, of a bubble bath, or even of self-harm. Getting to know God intimately in the quiet spaces is what produces your resilience to not crumble and fall. I know that when I spend time with God alone, he becomes my fortress and my strength. That is why I have this tattooed on my arm and imprinted on my heart. And maybe you don't relate to this. Maybe you don't relate to your life feeling like a war right now. Or maybe you don't relate to those destructive methods of stillness. But what you actually need to hear is to just slow down, be still in the busyness and let God be God. He wants to fight for you. He wants to be strong for you. Ultimately, he wants to heal those inner parts of you and let him in and trust him with your pain and your hurt. I know I've brought up some tough things here and it's going to be hitting people in different ways. There's going to be a rawness. There's going to be various emotions happening in the room right now. And some of you might relate deeply to some of the things that I've shared about my younger self. And I believe this morning that God wants to invite you into his peace and his presence and bring you healing. And I'd just like to share something else with you. Just keep your eyes closed. You might have noticed earlier that I have a tattoo on my other arm. And this tattoo is 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And when I was in the midst of the pain that I shared at 16 years old, I clung on to this verse. I loved how it talked about how I didn't have a spirit of fear, but I had a sound mind. And the words of this verse are not only significant because of the time frame that I held on to them, but also because of the placement of where this is tattooed. This tattoo is right over my worst self-harm scar. It doesn't hide it or cover it completely but for me, it's a sign that God has redeemed the situation. He has replaced it with his truth, which is in his word in the Bible. And I hope you too can find comfort in this verse like I did if you're struggling today.